0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. You Thank you. Um, just really good to be with you. Thank you for the invite, Andre and um, Shofar. Um, yeah, I've been back for 13 years. Um, I, I feel a bit tonight like I'm leaving a little baby in someone else's care. Um, We've got a congregation in Beacon Bay we've just planted six weeks tonight, it's our sixth evening, so I'm still, I was so tempted in worship to text, how are you guys going? And I left my phone and I said, Jesus, we can't trust you with that. Um, We have the privilege of leading everyday people, have you heard? Um, We've been here for 13 years, we've only changed the name, I think it was three, four years, four years now, three, four years ago, Um, a church, the church itself, um, Greenfields, where we are, is about 80 years old as a congregation, started by a Sunday school teacher early, um, um, planted out from one church. Um, So that's us. It's a privilege to be here, and I I love what you're doing. I love what we're doing in the city together. We don't have enough churches. That's why we need to keep planting churches. I want to encourage you as a church, don't stop trusting God for planting more congregations in our city, in the region, in our country, across the globe. There aren't enough churches, um, and we should be cheering each other on to plant and, and do more. Um, the irony of this, the irony of the God timing of this, is we just kicked off a, a series called Perfectly Flawed. Um, we're preaching through 1 Corinthians. And if you know anything about Scripture and one, the church in Corinth, it was messy. Um, it was everything but perfect, but perfectly loved by Christ. Um, and this morning, Sia preached so well on um, the body in competition with one another. Um, and Paul challenging the church, saying, we don't... Pa- baptized in our own name we baptize in the name of Christ we do this work in Christ's name um, and so it's special to be here. that's what's happening at every day if you turn in your Bibles if you don't mind to um, John 11 I'm going to tuck right into the preach um, I'm, I've entitled this evening the slowness of God and I, and when I saw that you guys shared it on Facebook I thought there's no one going to pitch up because no one wants to hear about God being slow I mean, I, I don't know anybody that's going to sign up and say, I'm keen. Tell me about how slow God moves sometimes. Um, certainly, I wouldn't be signing up for that. So I want to just take my hat off to clearly none of you watch your first Facebook posts um, that how put out. Um, but late, lately in our culture, waiting is not something that we enjoy doing. I hate waiting for a kettle to boil. I don't know about, about anything bigger in life. I don't enjoy waiting at a traffic light. It's, well, none of East London enjoys waiting for a, a traffic light. When you see orange, it means hurry up and get through the, the robot. It doesn't say slow down, be cautious. Um, but hate, waiting is not something we do well. Um, whether you're a believer tonight or not, whether you believe in Christ or not, none of us enjoy waiting. And there's a good chance that all of us in the room right now, actually is busy waiting for something. I'm sure if we went around, we passed the mic around, and I said to you, what are you waiting for God to do in your life right now? All of us would have something that we're praying for. If you're praying and speaking to God, you are asking, you are inquiring of God, you are saying to God, God, these are things that I'm trusting you for. Why doesn't God hurry up? Anybody ever pray that? Like, It really helps being honest. Can I just say this? Tonight's not going to work if we're going to go, no, I I, I love waiting. Okay. If you put your hand up and say you love waiting, um, we're going to pray for you afterwards because there's something seriously wrong in your makeup as a human being if you enjoy and love waiting. Um, Anyway, but we need more than great quotes, isn't it? So Nikki Gumbel, I love the guy, he sent out this quote um, uh, on Twitter and he said, Joseph waited 13 years. Before, from slave to kingdom. Abram waited 25 years for his child to be born. Moses waited 40 years to enter the promised land. Jesus waited 30 years before he started his ministry. If God's making you wait, if God makes you wait, you're in good company. I go, wow, it makes me feel good. And that feeling lasts about 30 seconds until I'm reminded that I'm still waiting on something that God is doing, and I'm in that season and time of waiting. And the quote kind of like, and the, and the tweet goes, and I go, great, thank you, Nikki, it, lo- it lasted a bit, but I need a bit more than just one tweet every now and then reminding me that I'm in good company. So we're all in good company this evening, if you're waiting for God or waiting on God. So the context here is, in John 11, we're going to read through it, we're going to do a bit of a highlights package. I don't know if you're like me, sometimes when I get busy, I don't get to watch a rugby game or a football game, and I go to my PV and I find the the Highlights packages, if you support a decent team like Liverpool, then your game 's always going to be on there. Hey, at the moment, everybody loves being a Liverpool fan um, it wasn 't so cool two, three years ago, um, but then you go and watch your highlight package, and within five minutes, you can see the whole game and normally it 's just all the goals that Liverpool are busy scoring, and you can get on with your life and you 've done so we 're going to do a bit of that through this chapter it 's a long chapter. Um, so we're not going to read the whole thing, but I'm hopefully going to just read a few verses, pause, make a few comments, point to, to the gospel through it, and then move on. Can I pray for us? Let's do that. Lord, before we turn to your, your word, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what it is. Thank you for the strength that comes when we, when we read scripture. Thank you for the life, Holy Spirit, that you breathe through your word. And I pray that our hearts, just that every heart would be open to it. Lord, we acknowledge our weakness um, as human beings when it comes to waiting. We're not good at it. Um, sometimes waiting feels like suffering Jesus. Um, and I pray that there would be grace upon this evening, that we would walk away with not just faith, but grace to, to face the season of waiting that we might find ourselves in. Amen. So if you're in a, in a season right now where, where God seems to be taking his time in answering a significant prayer in your life, I think tonight could be really, really beneficial to you. So let's read. We're going to read um, from the first um, in chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany at the village of Mary and his sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one who you love is sick. That's quite a rich verse, um, and I've highlighted there, the one whom you love is sick. And I I don't want to just take it for granted, but I think Mary and them are trying to send a message to Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, the one that you love, it's that person that's sick better Please, can you come and heal Lazarus? He is deathly ill. He's on his on his sickbed and he needs healing. And it's amazing how 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 Jesus needs reminding by Mary and Martha that Lazarus is one that you love, Jesus. So can I just pause and say, if you are in a season or a time in your life where you are waiting, it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. And it's amazing how when we wait and we and God takes His time in answering our prayers. We, we struggle with the sense of, God, do you still love me? Do you still hear me? Is my voice important to you? you? Jesus, have you forgotten who I am? I'm your son. You said I'm your son. I'm well-loved. I'm your beloved. I'm the apple of your eye, Jesus. Do you remember me? It's that honor, Jesus, that's busy praying. Can you do something about my prayer request? And it's amazing how Mary and Martha here sent a reminder to Jesus. I, I was going to say something about the ability of ladies to to say the obvious and not obvious ways, but I won't do that this evening. But Mary and Martha were going, don't worry, we've got this. This is someone Jesus loves. He's on his way. When he hears something's happening, he's going to make a move and he's going to get here quickly. We're going to go on to verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. We know this today. So the beneficiary is, if the benefit is you and I, if we've been in church for any amount of time, we know about Jesus and Lazarus and the story. You and I, even right now, before I read the, the text, you know how the story ends. Mary and Martha had no clue how the story ends. All they knew was Lazarus is sick and Jesus isn't here. We're going to send and get him in the house because when Jesus arrives, things happen. People get healed. People get raised from the dead. Jesus is the miracle worker. And by the way, He loves Lazarus. He's going to come. We know this. They don't know this. God's glory comes before our comfort. One of the things we struggle with in waiting is is our comfort levels decrease. (laughs) It's not comfortable waiting. Go to the doctor. Go to the dentist. Well, maybe, yeah. We don't enjoy waiting in the waiting room. There's fear involved there. I get that but waiting for something exciting to happen. It's not a comfortable position. And what happens here and what we see in Scripture is Jesus making it clear that this is for God's glory. This is not about your comfort, Mary and Martha. My glory trumps your comfort. And we have to believe that as believers. We have to believe that, that, God, you are more committed to your glory than you are to my comfort. That's a hard one to swallow sometimes, isn't it? That's a tough one. Again, she's honor, You're never going to invite her back here. You've just said that God doesn't worry about. No, He cares very much for you. He loves you. Remember, it just said, God loves Lazarus. But His glory comes first. And we don't know that. And just like Mary and Martha, when you and I are facing seasons of waiting, particularly for something that's very dear and important to us, we kind of God, show your glory quickly. Come, we know you've got it. God, you can do this thing. And we go through a seasons of discomfort and anguish. Scripture sometimes refers to waiting as a kind of suffering. We suffer in our seasons of waiting. And maybe there are a few of us in the room that could say, "Just oh, honour. I feel like waiting is suffering. It's not just a long time. It's actually now it's hurting. It's causing pain inside my heart." The second lesson from this little scripture or these verses is, God's delays are not always His de- denials. Just because God's not answering you immediately doesn't mean that he's saying no. And that's also something we struggle through is when, when, when time goes past or time goes by when we trust in God to do something in our lives or force something and someone in our lives, we start believing that God's said no. And it's true that sometimes God does say no. God can. He's God. He gets to say no to honor. <laughs> that's why he's God and I'm not. And I get to live under his yes and his no over my life. But I also get to know that sometimes his delays doesn't always mean that he's saying no to me. He's just saying, wait. I don't know if you're getting ready to go out and you, I don't know what you like. I like being, wherever I'm going, five or 10 minutes early. I don't know if if you're wired that way. I'm wired that way. So when... And said, be uh, 4.30ish, you can guess what time I was here. We were in the parking lot at 20, 25 past 4, waiting, kind of saying, do we wait, do we go in? Um, and then you're on your way out of the house, ready to go out, and your wife says, just wait a bit, I'm on my way. And we all go, yay, I love waiting. I'm going to do this, I'm just going to smile, I'll wait for you. I've got an amazing wife, she hardly ever makes me wait. Can I just say that? I just don't want anybody to feel or think that, that this is um, a case in our, in, our, in our lives. But many of, our, of God's delays are divine seasons that he deliberately brings into our lives to bring us closer to him. It's him saying, wait on me, wait for me. I'm not saying no, I'm just saying wait. And I'm going to encourage some of you today. Some of you, maybe there's something that you're trusting God for and you're going, I've waited so long, obviously it's a no. We told a story when we preached this, this is my, my sermon um, two weeks ago at church when we, we, we did this topic. We interviewed a lady and a, a husband who waited 10 years before they, for a child to be able to, to fall pregnant. And so after a season of waiting, they adopted the first daughter, um, and they were beautiful, they were so excited. Then the, um, the agency phoned them a year later um, and saying, the do- your daughter just had a, a half-sister Would you like a little sister because there's no home for her? They adopted the two daughters. And two years or a year and a half after adopting the first two daughters, they feel pregnant. Amazing story. And you kind of say to them, I remember asking them in the interview, I said, so was God late? Or did you run out of patience? And they go, we wouldn't change a thing. God wasn't late. His timing was perfect. We have three daughters. that are our daughters. And we've got two daughters who never would have had a home or our home to have grown up in. And that's incredible how God does that stuff. And we, we tend to go, and they were given some really bad counsel. They were told unequivocally by, um, they say it was a man of faith, um, that rebuked them once they fell pregnant. And said, how on earth? You see, this is a sign of God that you did not have patience or enough faith to wait for your, your child to be born. Now, God's delay didn't mean No. It just says, wait. And in the waiting, they got to the place where God opened an amazing door for two orphaned little girls to have an amazing, beautiful home to grow up in. It's a beautiful story. I love telling it because I remind myself again of, of waiting. Like I say, we all get into seasons of waiting. There's a good chance most of us here, if I had to push you saying, what is the one thing that you're still waiting for God to do in you, we can come up with something very dear to us and close to our hearts. <clears throat> Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha. (laughs) I love the way that Jesus again says, I love you. Just because you're waiting doesn't mean I love you or I don't love you. Jesus loved Martha and and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. I love you. I'm going to stay longer. I love you, and I'm not coming right now. I love you. I'm not going to say right now, but I love you. I don't know what you like when I'm waiting. Someone telling me, I love you, but you're going to wait an hour. Kind of like, I'm not so sure how I'm going to respond. I'm ready to go. And Claire says, I love you, Honor, but I'm not ready yet. And an hour later, I'm going, she goes, I love you. Is it all okay? There's there's something in us that ticks over and going, I don't want to hear you say, I love you again. If you loved me, you would stop making me wait. And we say that to God. If you love me, hurry up. If you love me, why are you making me wait? It doesn't We cannot equate in our heads, our small heads, we cannot equate that waiting and love can be in the same sentence. You and I cannot do that. That's why I said if you love waiting, there's something I think we need to see a counselor or be prayed for. Because there's something in our makeup that doesn't equate loving and waiting. But if I ask you some of the most beautiful, great things that you can look at in your life, you'll say, oh, I had to wait for that. God made me wait for that. God made me wait for my perfect, for the wife that I now have, or my kids, or for my perfect job, or for this career that God trusted me for. God is never rushed. We rushed. We are. We are afraid that if we don't have the perfect life now, we'll never have it. So give me the life that I want now, that I desire now, so I can get on and not feel like I'm going to miss out on a few years later. Now we skip forward in the story a bit forward. And now Jesus arrives. Now, he's already delayed by a few days. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, four days is very significant in those days. In the first three days, they would balm you and they would would, wrap you up, etc. But in the first three days, they believed that your spirit was with your body and that there was an outside chance, somehow, somewhere, that your body would be raised from the dead because your spirit's still around. It's hanging around, but they reckon after three days the spirit even leaves the body, and so it's just a corpse. It's just a rotten body. The king, the, the king's James calls it um, stinketh, and Afrikaans, isn't it stink. But by, in the fourth day, your body is rotting away and it's dead. It's not a pleasant smell. Um, I don't know if you watched Princess Princess, um, the Princess Bride. There's a little skit. We. He, he, the Wesley, I think it is, at the corpse, and he goes, "This corpse is mostly dead. It's rotting." And he goes, it, "It is mostly dead." Jesus enters the tomb and he says, and he looks at Lazarus lying on his slab, wrapped up and stinking already, and he says, "He's only mostly dead." Now I never knew that there was it's like, you're mostly pregnant kind of like where is the line before like where's most pregnant or mostly pregnant or you either or you you either are you not not so but you can't be dead or not dead or mostly but in Jesus thinking saying Lazarus is mostly dead he's still thinking there's there's a chance here verse 20 when Martha heard that Jesus was coming she went out to him but Mary stayed at home listen to this Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will, God will give you whatever you ask. And I love this. This is such a, a real prayer. A real, I'm glad they put scripture like this in the Bible. And the, the Bible doesn't stay away from these. Listen to the first statement. Lord, you are late. If you had been here, he would still be alive. All the blames on Jesus for for delaying, for not arriving, for taking his time. And now she's questioning, do you love him? Do you love me? What is going on here, Lord Jesus, if you had been here? She's standing, and she's got her hands on her hips, and she's tapping her foot, and she's, Jesus, if you had been on time, this would not have happened. Now we've got a a, a grave dug already. We've got a tomb rented out. We've paid the deposit on the tomb. We've spent a lot of money here, Jesus, and you did not pitch up. This is on you, Jesus. I remember in my early rugby playing days, we were just married. um, We didn't have cell phone coverage like we have today. And we went to a rugby trip. We took a rugby trip to Grahamstown. We had to go play Rhodes from East London. And we went and played our rugby game. And after the game, we were in a a combi, the whole team, and the youngest member of our team was responsible for driving us home. But in the combi, no problem. That's not the difficulty. The difficulty is in the combi were, were... the hard-beard rugby guys that have been around the block a while and enjoy their, their drinking and their partying after a game. So the young guy's busy leaving Grahamstown, and there's a turn-off that you take towards King, and if you carry on straight, you end up in Bathurst. These older guys convinced this young guy that it's far shorter to go via Bathurst to East London. So this young guy, wanting to be home because he promised his young wife we're going to be home by 9 o'clock in the evening after our rugby game. We'll have a drink afterwards, but then we're going to head home. He says, the shortest way we go. As they enter Bathurst, there's a little spot there. Anybody know what it's called? The Pig and Whistle. We got stuck there for three, four hours at the Pig and Whistle, karaoke singing Alice, and the more the guys drank, the more they sang, and this oki's now worrying. He's going, I don't have a cell phone. I told my wife, 9 o'clock, now it's 12 o'clock. So pick and Whistle eventually said, now you guys must move on. So the bus full of rugby players are escorted out. We're in the combi. And this Oki, okay, because he's driving, he's the sober guy on the bus. And he's going, I'm going, I told my wife we'll be home at a reasonable hour. On the way out, you get past Bathurst, you go past Port Alfred. Anybody been past Barney's in Port Alfred? Barney's in Port Alfred have this massive pole in the middle of the pub. And then they grease themselves up. And they challenge each other to see who can climb the pole for the next four hours. Because that's what you do on a rugby trip to Grahamstown. Needless to say, at about half past four or five the next morning, when I knocked or I tried to get into my house as quietly as possible, there was my beautiful young wife tapping. I couldn't sleep. Where were you? Why were you there? So we've all experienced that. We've all experienced a bit of this. And I want to just say to you, this is the attitude that Jesus walked into. This was not Jesus, you are Lord, you are so king, you are king, you are glorious. This is a wife that's irritated because her husband's eight hours late and didn't phone or stop to think to phone and say, I'm not dead. The father of your, kid is co- your kids are coming home. This is the irritation Jesus walks into. And the reality is, we can look at Martha and go, Martha, this is Jesus, come on. Or we can look at ourselves and go... Have I not done that? Have I not closed my door? Have I not gone to the beach when no one's on the beach and have a real whinge and whine, just like the Aussies, on the beach at Jesus and say, Jesus, why have you not done this? And reminded him that he loves me and reminded him that he's God and saying, Jesus, why? I'm irritated. I've been there. I've been angry at God when he doesn't make sense in his timing. You know, God, I don't get this. These things don't add. You loving me does not add up to me having to wait and seemingly you saying no to me. Hand on hip. Don't understand. Still, still mad at Jesus. Because you don't see anything happening doesn't mean God isn't working. And I'm not trying to pump up faith this evening and say, God's saying yes to you, just, you just need to wait. But I do want to say is we don't always see what God's busy doing behind the scenes. You and I have a limited view. We know the character of God, we know who he is, and we trust that. But we don't always see what he's doing behind the scenes. We don't have the full picture. You and I don't have eternity's perspective yet. We wish we did. We'd love to have it. We can trust him because, because we can trust him in who he is. And I love the way the passage ends. But I know that even now, God will do whatever you ask him. She gets angry at Jesus. Then she says, no, Jesus, but I know. I I do know. Even now, ignore my madness, Jesus, you can still do this thing. She still has faith. There's still an answer in her saying, if you, Jesus, ask God to do this, you will raise Lazarus from the dead for us. She doesn't give up. And I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in that moment where you're angry at God, you're frustrated at God, you're going, you're tapping your foot and you're going... Jesus, like, come on, you love me. What's going on here? Don't lose that, that, that mustard seed of faith when you're saying, God, I know. Jesus, if God wanted me, I can still have that. Don't give up just because it's a delay. Don't stop praying and trusting. Don't stop trusting or stop, uh, stop trusting God. Don't, don't stop praying because it's just taking time. Trust God. God's ways are not our ways. That's one of the toughest things to say to people. I love posturing people. I've got a, my heart's a shepherd. I love people. One of the hardest things to say to people is, I don't understand. I don't know. I know God. I know who he is. I know what he's like. I don't understand this. We actually called this series, we did a three part on when God says no, when God is late, or when we, when we suffer. Because people would say to us, God doesn't make sense or no. It doesn't make sense. We live in a world where senseless things happen all the time. And we try and understand. And sometimes we say, we don't know. We don't understand the big picture, but we do understand who God is. We know that he loves us. We know that whatever Jesus asked of his father, he will do for us. So it's not a matter of faith. It's not a matter of who's loved. It's just, sometimes it's a, it's a perspective. We don't always see what God is doing behind the scenes. Mary and Martha did not understand that Jesus was about to raise their friend from the dead. They only saw God saying no and deliberately delaying their answer to their prayer. That's all from their perspective. Don't forget the story. Don't forget where we are and what we get to see. See, you and I have the privilege of seeing the whole story. We know how it ends. They didn't. And that's why I love this passage in Scripture because it shows you people struggling through that season where God is delaying, when God is just not saying no, and he's just saying, wait. And i go through the same battles these guys went through. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And listen to clever Martha. She knows Jesus. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last days. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I love the way Jesus points to himself as the life and the resurrection. Not a moment, not a time and he said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha and Mary wanted a healing. They, they heard Jesus heal the sick, etc. And they wanted Jesus to do a healing. Jesus wanted a resurrection. They wanted a healing. Jesus wanted a resurrection. I am the resurrection, Jesus says to them. The one who believes in me will never die. They asked for healing and Jesus raised the dead. Mary and Martha, which is the greater? A healing or raising someone from the dead? I think it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Because he's mostly dead. He needs a lot of life in him. He needs a lot of healing. No, no, he's beyond healing now. This is not a, a case of healing now. He doesn't need a plaster or a tablet or some medicine. No, no, he needs life. And there's only one that can give life. God wants to do, what God wants for you is better than what you want for you. What God wants for you is greater or better than what you want for you. See, they all they wanted was a healing. Jesus come and do a healing. Jesus wanted a resurrection. Why is this so significant in the gospel? The gospel is this. Before I knew Christ, Scripture says I wasn't just sick or ill, and needed a plaster on my life. Before I knew Christ, I was, I wasn't Lazarus on day day one, sick needing healing. Now, before I knew Christ, before Christ saved me, I was Lazarus on day four. That's massive, because I need to realize that honor needed. Raising from the dead, I was dead. It says, I was dead in my trespasses. You are dead to your sin. You are dead to respond to God. And the, 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 the thing Jesus is reminding them here is that He is glorified when we realize I, Jesus and church and the gospel is not just the plaster on my life, it's not just a new way of living my life. It's me being dead and needing life and resurrection from Christ. Now I'm alive. I'm not here because I added Jesus as a band-aid to my life. No, no, no. I'm here and I can believe and I can worship Christ because he brought life into me. I was dead to him. He brought life to me. Lazarus was in the tomb. He could do nothing to raise himself from the dead. He needed a radical miracle, something that they've never seen before. And that's you and me before the gospel. I love reminding myself of that. Honor, I need reminding that, that that was me. I was more like Lazarus than Mary and them. Before Jesus, I was in the tomb. My sin, I was dead to Christ. I couldn't unwrap myself. I couldn't bounce out. I couldn't even place my faith in Jesus. He had to call me out from there. And then verse 42, 43. And Jesus said to them, take away the stone. And he had said this. Jesus called in a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. How beautiful. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. And I've heard many guys and preachers talk about a dead man that's lying wrapped like a mummy. And can you imagine? They move the stone away, and Jesus shouts into the tomb Lazarus comes out. Now you're busy, you are lying down with sheets wrapped around your body like this. And I. I can you imagine standing, and I'm sure if you had my sense of humor, you couldn't wait to see how this oak's going to bounce himself all wrapped up out of the tomb. And I, I've got a mind like that. So I'm thinking, Jesus, when he, you said came up, the first thing is how's he going to go from horizontal to vertical? The poor oak's still wrapped up. No one unwrapped him. It doesn't say Jesus unwrapped the guy, the dude. And he's still stinking. He's still dead. The, the stench didn't go. And I open it. Maybe that's why they stayed out. And the next thing, yeah, comes the guy, bouncing. Like, okay, hard enough to get up, and, but now, now I have to get myself out of this tomb. Bouncing, bouncing out, and then they unwrapped him, and there the guy is. I don't know, but for me, that, I, I can spend hours thinking about what, what that could have been like and looked like. But Jesus turns their greatest disappointment into the greatest miracle. Christ can turn our great, greatest disappointments into incredible miracles. And he seems to be good at that. He seems to be a God that turns disappointments into miracles. He seems to be a God that works that way. You See, with God, our waiting season is never a wasted time. You can say, time is ticking. My, my biological clock is ticking away. I need this to get going, Jesus. I want to say to you, if you're in a place right now In a time in your life where you seem to be waiting, don't waste it. Don't waste. Don't see this as a wasted season in your life. And we do see it as a wasted season, don't we? Because we could use our time better than this. I've got better things to do. When you go and try and relicense your vehicle, and you're at the fourth post office telling you this is not the right place to go, and you're still chasing it after three hours, who's never said, I've got better things to do with my life? We've all said that. And and then we say to the teller, are you not aware that my time is precious? I do not have a whole day to chase from post office to post office. I have better things to do. We have that same attitude, if we're honest, when we wait for God to answer stuff. Jesus, God, don't, are you not aware that honest life has got a lot to achieve? And you, by postponing and making me wait, you're wasting my years, Jesus. Jesus. Let's get on with it so we can achieve great things together. God is more committed to doing a work in you than a work for you. Let that just sink in. God is more committed to, to who I become than what he gives me or what he answers in prayers towards me. He's more committed to working in honor and in shaping my character to become more like Jesus than doing things for me. And sometimes that's a hard one to settle on. And waiting, I think, is the, it's the thing I think God uses most to shape our character. Waiting. A young, I remember a, a story of a young, young third year Bible college student going to his professor, reading through all the attributes of Jesus and all the, the, the good things, the good godly characters. And he got to Patience. He says, I want to learn to become the most patient person on earth. Would you pray for me? And the lecturer in theology laid hands on this young man and prayed a horrible prayer of cursing and suffering over this young guy. He says, I pray that you would suffer. I pray that you would get sick. And he literally would just go, no, please don't get a big fright. And the guy stopped. Obviously, he stopped this professor and saying, what on earth? No, whoa, I don't want that prayer over my life. And a professor said, let's just go to scripture and see what produces those kind of things in your life. Let's go to Romans quickly. I'm just going to read it for you and we're going to just pause through it. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Remember I said earlier, waiting is in, in many of our hearts and minds akin to suffering. If, if, if I'm waiting, I'm suffering. Is that okay? Can, can we agree on that? It's not lucky. It's not comfortable. Romans, Romans 5, verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Can you believe that Paul said to the Roman church, rejoice in your sufferings. Rejoice in your waiting so far. Can you imagine, for, to say, imagine saying to someone that's desperately waiting for God to answer a prayer, rejoice, be happy. Smile, dance, be, be happy. Rejoice in your suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. We want to be a people of hope. Then we need some character. If you want a people, to build a people of character, we need endurance. We need to to be good at waiting, waiting it out, seeing through tough seasons. The church can learn a lot from that. And I'll say church, I'm talking about our church can learn a lot from that. I'm sure your church too. And hope does not put us to shame. I love that. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. God's love. I know. I love the song we sang earlier. You love me. We are secure in your love, Father God. We know that we loved. I can wait well. I can wait with a smile on my face. Hey, imagine that. Imagine our friends in the city who do not know Christ. Christ. Know how desperately you need God to answer a prayer of um, uh, um, provision or protection or healing. We've got friends that we are praying. We we had a a lady in church that is battling cancer um, after this preach, sat with me in the front row, and she shouted at me, why is God late? Why is God taking his time? Why has he not healed me yet? You can't do anything but cry, and you, you don't have answers in moments like that. But I know that God loves her. I know that God can and he will. Should he choose to heal her tomorrow, he can do that. But it's not easy. But somehow the early church believed that we could go through suffering and waiting with a smile on our face. Knowing these things that we've just seen through John John 11. I got this tweet. I read this this week and I want to share it with you. Jesus doesn't want you to get hooked on a formula. Jesus wants you to be hooked on Him. And what happens when we go through seasons of waiting, very often what happens in our lives is, how can I get God to do what I want Him to do for me? Let me jump through some hoops and do some stuff, and then if I do the right things, Jesus is going to answer my prayer. And prayer is genuinely forcing us towards Him, not towards the answer, towards Him. He is the answer, He is the life, He is the resurrection. He is the ultimate. We sang that this evening. You are, you are my my, my utmost. What was that? I'm terrible with, with remembering um, lyrics. But you sang like, "You are enough for me." Do you know what it means when you say, "You are enough for me"? Is if Jesus, you do if you don't answer my prayer, I'm still happy and satisfied. That's what it means to say, Jesus, you are my, my everything. You're my portion. You, I uh, you are enough for me. Means even if you say no, I'm still content because you are enough for me. That's a brave song to sing and to speak when you're waiting. But it's a beautiful, biblical, theologically correct song to sing if you love Jesus. Because it means whatever you give me is enough. You are enough. You are more than enough. And in our hearts what happens is we were created for God to be the number one in our lives. And we were created to enjoy good things in our lives. That's you. We were created, Adam and Eve, we were created like that. But what naturally happens in our hearts is we swap places with the two. We place good things like family and health and our children or our careers or our identities or our significance or our success as number one. And when it's number one, what it means is we find our identity and we find our joy and we find our contentment in those things. How I'm good when my family's good. I'm good with my bank balances full. I'm happy and I'm secure if I'm doing well. And I'm successful. And God becomes number two, and God becomes the source of those things for me. God, will you give me my number one? God, can you give me my number one? Because if I don't get my number one, I'm going to be really, really grumpy. Or I'm going to be very insecure. I don't don't know who I am if you take my family away from me. I don't know who I am if you take my health away from me. I don't know who I am if you take my job away from me. No, no, no. And what repentance looks like, Now, repentance is a big, sometimes a big word. We don't often like hearing it. But all repentance is, is us changing, flipping the order back and saying, Jesus, actually, no, you, number one. My identity comes from you, not from the, the good things that I enjoy. My, my security comes from you, not from the good things you give me. My approval, my identity, my approval, my sense of worth comes from you. Not from number two or the good things in my life. But when we get the order wrong, waiting becomes, dare I say it, hell. (laughs) Because all God then becomes is the source of those things. All God becomes to me in my life is, I pray because I know if you were your Jesus, you would give it to me. I know, Jesus, if I did the right things, you would say yes to me. The gospel is, in the middle of the gospel, and the story of the cross, Jesus' death, there's a three-day waiting period. And then the resurrection, his beautiful resurrection. But there's three days, torturous days, where the disciples are saying, Jesus, will you be raised from the dead? Can you see, even... In the beautiful story of the gospel on the cross, waitings wedged in there. There's a season where the disciples even sat and going, I wonder if Jesus is going to make it out of that, out of the tomb. Many of them scattered and ran for their lives, gave up and and deserted God and deserted Jesus and said, we're out of here. He is dead. He is going to start stinking tomorrow. Thank you for listening.